Hi, I'm Pastor Jeremy, and welcome to the preaching ministry of Nest Baptist, where we seek to equip people to love God and love others. So whether you are a longtime follower of Jesus, or you're exploring what faith in Him might look like, we're glad you're here. It is our prayer that through our sermons, you might better understand who God is, what He has done for you, and what that means for your life. May all of this lead to the worship of God and be for His glory. Good morning. As Jeremy said, the scripture reading today will be from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I will be reading from the New International Version. I'll let you turn there. So it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive, any, receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Thank you. Thanks, Noah. I have really been looking forward to being here with you this morning. Now, first things first, though, you may notice my voice sounds a little funny. It sounds bizarre to me. It's driving me crazy. I will give you absolutely every assurance this is not COVID. Okay? I've done multiple tests. Even this morning before I came to church, I said, hey, I'm going to test one more time. I got to make sure I'm not carrying some plague or something, you know. So I took it. Um, I've also had it checked out. Come to find out, I'm actually having a little bit of allergic reaction. We're doing a renovation project, and the sawdust and the drywall dust is actually affecting my sinuses, so that's what's making me sound funny. I tried to get the doctor to say, you know, can you just write a note that says, I'm allergic to renovations or, or something like that, and, but uh, no go. So we are really glad in the Baptist General Conference for Ness Avenue Baptist Church and Pastor Jeremy. Uh, I don't know if you know, Pastor Jeremy serves on our national board, so he offers leadership there, but also in our district. Uh, he's a leadership presence as we come together, as we figure out how do we support all of our churches, how do we navigate these challenging times that we're in, how do we move forward? So we're very thankful for that. We are also celebrating with you uh, Osborne Village Church and just what God has done there, how he's bringing people into his kingdom and into that church. And uh, that's not the case everywhere. So we know that this God's hand at work, and we are really excited uh, for them to officially become a part of a, an independent church, part of the Baptist General Conference. We're really, really glad and celebrating with you guys on that. So let's take some time to go into God's Word this morning. Now, I know you've been studying the book of Ephesians, but I talked to Pastor Jeremy. He said, yeah, it'd be okay if we did a one-off, kind of uh, just step outside of Ephesians. For a so I said, okay, great. Um, I'd had a couple different things that were on my heart. It's like, man, I'm just wondering where... And God just continued to draw me back to this passage. So I'm trusting that there are things that I need to hear in here, and hopefully things that you need to hear that might be encouraging as you work to live out your life in whatever context you happen to be in right now. I pray that you will see things here that will be an encouragement to you. So before we open up and go back into Scripture, let me ask you, what is the last time that you had an experience with an immature individual. Does anything come to mind? No, no elbows, nothing like that here. 
But does something pop to your mind and say, oh my goodness, yes, it was this, it was this coworker or it was this friend or this was someone in my home. You know, it could be, could very well be. Well, it's interesting. There are so many different aspects to maturity. So many things to think of. There, there's uh, mental maturity, physical maturity, uh, emotional maturity, social maturity. There's just all different kinds, but we know it when we see it. We know that, okay, that's not age appropriate. You know, if you were, if you were five, you could get by with that in this situation, but you're no longer five. You know, we, we're expecting more. As I was doing some research on this, you know, they've actually done, even though it's a very fluid thing, it's a very subjective thing, maturity, they've done some research uh, to kind of determine different maturity levels and stuff. There's all kinds of stuff. You can actually go and take your, on your own online maturity test and find out where you rank. So just, just uh, Google maturity quiz. We're not going to do that here this morning. But what was interesting is I looked through and I was like, oh, this is fascinating. Emotional maturity. Emotional maturity. What age do you think a female comes to emotional maturity? There's a number popping in your head right now. You think, oh yeah, I think emotional maturity happens here. Actually, through the statistical research they've done, it's age 32. Age 32, emotional maturity. How many, how many of you thought, oh, it's, it's much older than that? Anybody? No, no. I thought it was much younger than that, actually. <clears throat> But guys, not to let you off the hook. So if they did that for the ladies, they also did it for the guys. What age do you think a male comes to emotional maturity? 62. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 43. 43, the ladies got 10 years on us, gentlemen. You know, our emotions don't quite develop at the same rate. An interesting thing I found too, they, cognitive maturity, point at which they say your brain is physically, scientifically, fully developed to where you're able to tap into all aspects of your brain. And that they didn't do on gender basis, but they, it used to be back in 2011, the age was 25. They said, yep, here we are, we are pretty confident that you become fully cognitive capable, mature at age 25. 2019, do you think that went up or down? It went up. Age 30, they said. What's stunting that? I don't know. But that's a whole different topic we'll get into. Maturity is a fascinating thing. And we can look to it, and most likely you can be saying, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of immaturity. Maybe I've not been having to deal with it. And we can see a lot of immaturity in society. There's even a, a clinical description now called geroscophobia. Geroscophobia, which is the fear of accepting adult responsibilities. It's, it's a clinical, a psychiatric term. In 1983, they coined it as the Peter Pan syndrome. You know, it's like, no matter what, I'm not growing up. No, I just, I just won't. And it's inevitable, right? Aging's inevitable. Maturity is optional. And that, that quote, is, it's a little bit, um, some people say Walt Disney actually said that. Some say Chili Davis said it. Regardless, it's all over the internet. Aging, growing old, it's mandatory. It's inevitable. Maturity up is optional. I'm hoping as we look today in the book of James, we're going to see what his encouragement was for the believers to spiritually mature. As they were going through life and through different circumstances, he has some very pointed expectations for them that he passes on. So 
we're going to take a little bit of time to look at this this morning. Before we drill into a specific verse, though, I do want to take just a little step back and look at the broader context, because James is a really interesting letter that we have that we can look at. And um, it was written and circulated somewhere between A.D. 45 and 48. Now, that's going to become important when I start telling you, well, why, why, how does that fit into the life of the church and the development of faith communities? It's interesting to note that this is the very first letter circulated in ancient times. It's the first letter of the Bible, first, first book that was ever uh, put into circulation. And it's written by the half-brother of Jesus, this James. There's a number of James in, in the New Testament, but this James, this is the half-brother of Jesus, his immediate younger brother. So can you imagine that? Jesus' little brother? It's like, well, you never get by with anything, right? He's like, well, no, you can't, can't blame anything on him. He, was, he didn't cause the problem. Yeah, it's on you. So this is, this is the brother. Now, if you're sitting there, you're thinking, oh, wait a second. I thought I remembered in back in the Gospels that all of Jesus' brothers were kind of skeptical and said, no, no, we just, yeah, why don't you go to Jerusalem and see who you are, you know? And you'd be right. You'd be right. If you went back into John chapter 7, that's exactly what his brothers said. His brothers, all of his brothers said, look, I don't know why you're here talking to us. Why don't you go to Jerusalem and, and get your crowds to follow you there? That's where Jesus was talking about not being accepted in his own country. So his brothers were skeptics. His family were skeptics about who he was. But something happened in the life of James. Because by the time we get in further into the New Testament, Galatians uh, chapter 2, James is referred to as, this James is referred to as a pillar of the early church, a pillar of the first church. As a matter of fact, he was one of the founding people who talked about where they all came together and said, okay, we now have a responsibility. The gospel is going to the Gentiles. And so they came up with the Jerusalem Council. James is the one immediately following the council that addressed everyone present and said, the Holy Spirit is opening the door and the Gentiles are now being accepted into God's family. That's this James. What's interesting is what happened is you can go back and look in 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it said that this is when Jesus appeared. He came back to earth. You know, after he was resurrected, he came back and started appearing to different people, to groups of 500 and to the apostles. And specifically in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, and Jesus appeared to James. So you can imagine that kind of an encounter with Jesus Christ is going to change everything for you. And it sure did for James. And he became the leader of the church. The letters written to the 12 tribes scattered. So remember I said the dates were important. So if you will remember, the early church got started, everything's happened, and Stephen, one of the leaders in the church, was stoned. That happened somewhere in the mid to late 30s. The mid to late 30s, in Acts chapter 8, Stephen was stoned, and it was declared open season on the church. Just a few years later, this letter is written because... It says, at that time, the believers scattered and dispersed, trying to find places where persecution was less. That's the scattered people. It's also interesting to note that they would have come from a context of receiving significant oppression and persecution. They weren't living in pristine environments. 
They were being pushed out into foreign places that they weren't familiar with, in isolated situations, foreign lands, and they were most likely hurting because they had been driven from the relationships that were once supporting them. That's the people that are receiving this letter. It's also important to realize that this letter is written stylistically different than a lot of the books of the New Testament. James was not a highly educated individual. He would have gone through the normal training that a Jewish boy would have gone through, but he was a carpenter's son. And this letter is more stylistically in line with the Proverbs and sometimes referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament and the Sermon on the Mount. That's this kind of a letter. It's, I want you to be looking at the way you live life with a kingdom view. What's interesting is the number of parallels from the book of James to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to 7, is, is unprecedented. It's clearly that James is recalling things from that Sermon on the Mount, which, interestingly enough, wasn't in circulation at the time that James wrote this letter. It would come along uh, six to ten years later. So James had access, and even though he was a skeptic in those times, he had access and he recalled those things and embedded them in this expectation. So this, in the book of James, the call is for them to live their lives with a kingdom view in the midst of the challenges and the struggles that they were going to go through. Now, this, this book is very short. It's five short chapters that you could read. And I would encourage you to pick it up and to read it. But the warning is this. Of these 108 verses that are there, 60 of them contain a command with a direct expectation that you would obey this command. So it's not light reading in that sense. You read this book with an expectation of, okay, this is kind of a manifesto of being a citizen in the kingdom. These are the ways I'm supposed to conduct my life. Okay, pick it up, read it with that mindset, and you will see things come to life in a different way. So, with that kind of context, with understanding that about the overall book of James, let's look into a couple of the specific verses that we had this morning. James 1, verses 2 to 4, says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's a few phrases that catch my attention as I read this. And the first thing is, consider it pure joy when you face trials. That is not my response. Matter of fact, that's no one's natural response. You have to adopt a different mindset, a different perspective for that to even make sense. Consider it pure joy when I'm facing things that are creating discomfort for me. Trials difficulties. That's what James' expectation for these people was. To get past the initial response, to get past the natural response, to embrace a spiritual response of considering these things to be joy. It's interesting also that he says, whenever. We know that the trials are inevitable. The reality is, whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're not a follower of Christ, there will be trials in your life. There's no force field that keeps those away. Whenever those trials come, which is inevitable, our response is to embrace them with full joy because we know something, as James points out here. 
We know something, so there should be some knowledge, some resident knowledge in us that is saying this is the real outcome of what is to be what's going on here. I will not be stuck in the immediate circumstances, and this is what's happening right here. I'm going to look beyond the circumstances with some kind of a base knowledge that James is talking about. We get it. Hollywood depicts this all the time. You know, when you see, oh, there's the underdog story or there's the, the Rocky. I know I'm dating myself. That's an ancient movie nowadays. But any kind of story in which, oh, boy, these people were really persevering. There was the athlete that went into training in the basement and really, really just sweated it out and lived life, you know, on a ridiculous diet. But they came out of the basement and they were ready to conquer the world. They became the champions. We get it when Hollywood depicts it that way. That individual was rather willing to put themselves in a trying situation in order to stretch and to grow their body physically and to become dominant in the field of sport that they had chosen. So we get it. We get it when they do that. And James is saying, I need you to look beyond the discomfort of the immediate circumstances that you're in and realize that this is the opportunity that will stretch you and will grow you in your life. Malcolm Muggeridge uh, said this. Malcolm Muggeridge, he lived, he was a journalist, uh, he was an author. He's from the UK and he came to Christ late in life. He was a, a soldier and a, actually a spy and did, he became disillusioned with communism and it ultimately turned to Christ. He said this about his life. He said, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolate and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. What he was articulating was, yes, as I sit in my life and I look back, I say, boy, there's where I grew. It wasn't in times of comfort, in times of great ease. I did not grow there. I didn't have to grow there. That was a comfortable place to be. But when the things got tough, when things got challenging, that's when I saw growth in my life. Whether it was you had adopted a physical regimen that you're going to see, stretch and see your body grow, or emotionally or spiritually. James is saying, don't ever lose sight of this. You know this. That if you persevere in the thing that's going on, you know that you will be strengthened. Your faith will be strengthened. And you will be able to be used by God in different ways. His ultimate goal is that these believers would be mature and complete. Now what's interesting in those is complete in the sense that you have full integrity. All aspects of your life are woven into your faith. All aspects of your life are saturated by faith. It's not segmented. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I can do that here. I can, I can follow after, and I, I can lean into those trying times in this area, but boy, if we get over here to the financial realm, okay, uh -uh, that's, that's off. I'll handle it in my relationships, or I'll take it in this area, but not when we get to this area. James was saying, this needs to be complete. It needs to permeate every aspect of your life. And this mature, not to be confused with, oh, there it is. You, you kind of hit that maturity and then you stay at that static point of maturity. It's a maturing process. 
right? It's an ongoing process. Just like we said earlier, well, there are different components of maturity and there are different uh, aspects of maturity that we go through. James was saying that this is an ongoing process. Don't think that you'll ever hit the point and say, oh boy, I'm glad that's done. I'll never have to go through that again. No, it's an ongoing dynamic process that we're called to. Now maybe, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, I get that. We should be aspiring to grow in Christ, to be able to demonstrate him better to the world that's around us. But frankly, I'm not there. I don't really like the circumstances that I'm in or the things that are pressing upon me. I don't like those. They're stretching me in a way that I would prefer to not. James almost anticipates that with his next statement. What does he say? He said, let per perseverance finish its work so that you may be sure and complete, not lacking anything. Okay, that's where I want you to land. But what's his very next words? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. James gives them the immediate resource to say, look, we're in a situation, the church is being decentralized. It used to be the church of Jerusalem was there. This Stephen was stoned, the persecution happened, and the church was being decentralized. And to be clear, these believers were not necessarily seasoned, lifelong believers. Christianity hadn't been around that long. So these were new believers that were now being forced out into the world, trying to find places of safety. They're going to these different places, and James is saying, as you're going into those places, I know that your mindset may be, wow, if I could just escape this, if I could get out of here. And James is saying, you can call upon God because wherever you happen to go, if you're lacking this wisdom of how to navigate the trials and the challenges that you're in, God will provide wisdom to you. But be careful. <laughs> Don't come half-heartedly. Don't come and ask and then flake out when God says, well, you know, yes, I, I'm going to work through you. That doesn't mean the circumstance is going away, but I'll give you strength. Don't hit the eject button because you're unstable. You're unreliable. No one will commit to you and you're, you're not able to fix yourself on him. So James is saying, if you're going to ask that, if you're going to call out for that prayer of, of, of wisdom to help you navigate these, be sure of your commitment. Be committed, be fixed on him, and he will give you this wisdom. What kind of wisdom do you think that might have been? If James was boiling it down, I think James would have said to him, God can be trusted. Regardless of your circumstances, God can be trusted. What you are seeing now is not the full and the complete picture. Why do I think that? Because James had an interaction with the resurrected Christ. James, even though he was skeptical, would have seen Christ die on the cross. Would have known, hey, okay, wait a second, there, was, there were these prophecies, there were these predictions, there were these things he said, but that didn't materialize, he died on the cross. But James saw beyond the story because he himself had experienced more than the immediate context. It's kind of like the old uh, story about the farmer that lived in a rural environment to where they all Everyone in the community, they were farmers. They, they worked the land by hand. He and his son were working the land, and one day their horse ran off. Well, that evening, all the other farmers come around and says, oh, this is terrible news, terrible news. Your horse has run off. And the farmer said, well, I don't know yet. 
It could be good news. It could be bad news. We haven't had enough time to see. Sure enough, the next day they're out working in the field. That horse comes back and two horses are with him. Somehow that horse went out and found two other horses and brought them back. And all the farmers came and they said, oh, great news, great news. You, well, how blessed you are. You now have three horses. And the farmer said, well, we don't know yet. There could be more that's happened. We, we have to see if this is good news or bad news. I can't tell you. Well, the next day they get up and that, the farmer's son said, you know what? These three horses are a blessing. I'm going to train them so that we can work with them. And as he's trying to train and work with one of the horses, the horse bucks him off and he breaks his back. All of the neighbors come over to the farmer that evening and say, terrible news, terrible news. Your son has his back broken. This is terrible. The farmer says, well, we don't know yet. It's too early to tell. There's more to the story. Sure enough, the next morning, the general of the land comes with his armies and says, we are going to war and we are, we are inscripting all of the young, able-bodied men to come and to serve in the forces. And the farmer says, well, my son would like to come, but his back is broken. He's not able-bodied. All of the neighbors come and they say, great news, wonderful news. Your son does not have to go to war to certain death. We are so happy for that. And the farmer says, we don't know yet. Could be good news, could be bad news. And you understand how that would go on and on and on, right? That's the context that James was hoping these people would have. Look, the, the situation that you're in, the circumstances you're in, are not the full and the complete picture. There is so much more, and God will use every aspect of what is going on in your life in order to make himself known. Because as we live him out, as we live in light of a kingdom citizenship, the invisible God is made known through our conduct, through our behavior. That's what James was hoping these people would understand. That they would embrace it, they would seek that kind of wisdom. That's like, regardless of my circumstances, God is at work. He is working through me. So, we can go on. There's a, there's a lot we could talk about. But one of the interesting things about this book of James, because from that point on, once James declares that, that you need this wisdom as you navigate circumstances, all of a sudden, James goes into talking about a, lot, a variety of topics. All kinds of different topics that he's bringing to the table and says, you've heard it said this way, here's how you need to act. You're doing this, this is the way you need to act. So he's giving them very specifics as you read through that, those five chapters. Very specific situations, money, your tongue, how we treat one another, favoritism, all these different topics are coming up. And James jumps over to chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, and he says this, in the same way, faith by itself, it is not, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. James was saying to these people, as he starts listing all these different things, he's like, I am telling you, your faith, your genuine faith, must work itself out in these situations, in these trying circumstances, some that will involve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your faith must be evident. It must be visible so that the invisible God is seen. Now, some have interpreted that to say James was saying we can work our way to heaven. That's not at all what James was saying. James was making the comparison to say this is a genuine faith. A genuine faith, it is inevitable. It will demonstrate itself. You will be able to see a genuine faith. As opposed to someone says, oh, I have faith, but their life hasn't changed. They're not reflecting the values of Christ or what James is calling this Christian community too. He presents a clear and undeniable relationship between genuine faith, 
in genuine action. Action is a result of a genuine faith. He had an unmistakable expectation for these people that they would become mature and complete. A lot of us would say, wow, the people he was writing to, they had already escaped genuine physical hardship and persecution because of their faith. They're like, I'm going to cling to my faith. I'm going to remove myself from these circumstances. We're like, we've never had to, many of us have never had to experience that. And we think, wow, that, that's a pretty mature thing. They are seeking out places where they can continue to, continue to live their faith. And yet James is telling them, as you're going out and as you are moving to those places, I want you to continue working on your maturity so that you are complete. I want you to demonstrate that in the spheres, in the circles that you are. What's interesting is if you take the book, and if you read through the five chapters just in one setting, just like somebody wrote you a letter, and you just, you just make a note of, oh, wow, James talks about a lot of topics here. I don't think James was trying to create a checklist of saying, you know, if you, if you guys just hammer on these things, you're good. I think he was trying to create a bigger picture for them to say, look, here are everyday situations, everyday dynamics, every, everyday circumstances that you're going to have to work through and your faith can express itself in those everyday things. Not to get hung up in the, oh, it's, I got to remember it's this way, this way. That's not what James is calling the people to. He was wanting, I believe, he was wanting them to see that in all of your everyday interactions, whether it was with brothers and sisters in Christ or whether it's with people in the world, regardless of those, you can use this as a platform for people to see God at work in you. Pray that God might give you the perspective that he's at work beyond your circumstances. Pray that way and God will show up and he will meet you that way. What's really interesting is, as you look through, there are a couple of themes that surface quite a bit. James talks a lot about the way we use our words, the way we use our mouths and our tongues, and how we treat one another that way. He also talks a lot about how we use our money. And those are two very powerful things, even in our society today, that are points of influence. So how are you using your influence through your words and through your finances? How are you using those influences to make sure that God is seen in you. James gives a few examples that you can, on your own, you can look through. But here's what I want to do as we're wrapping this up. So we need to make this ours in 2023, right? It's still new in the year, so we've got plenty of opportunity to start applying this. We can make it new for us. We can make it new and evident in our lives as well. Because we know it was not written and recorded so that it would stay relegated to the ancient times. It was recorded so that it could come into our present world, into our responses, our actions. So here's a couple observations that I have in closing. One, I think James' expectation was that the people would be God-facing as you read through this. He says, you know something. You know that if you persevere, God will be made known through you. That's his expectation that you know that God is at work. Don't let this fade away from you. I think James' expectation is that the people would be inviting God into their circumstances, even in their uncertainty, that they would be inviting him in and saying, help enlighten my perspective, that I can see you at work in a powerful way. Help me to know that you are work beyond the circumstances of my life, regardless of what those might be. And the last thing, 
I think that James' real expectation was even though they were being dispersed and scattered and going into isolated, desolate places, he had a genuine expectation that they would be embracing one another in community. Why I say that is because if you go through and you read to the very last verse of the book, the last two verses, James says this, after he's gone through so many different circumstances and, and, and told them about all these different things, here's how you should behave and conduct yourself. He says this, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and somehow should, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way saves him from death and covers over a multitude of sins. James understood that there would be times that we may wander or drift or be drawn away from what God's design and expectation was as we lived out our faith. And in the concluding verses, he says, if as a community we keep one another accountable and we reach out in love to one another, we draw one another back to this community of Christ, to this citizenship in which we can represent him. And I think that's what James was encouraging these people to do. Because you know we are much, we are part of a much larger community. As we're told in the book of Hebrews, that we, we come alongside and our story of faith becomes a part of the story of faith of those people from ancient times. So it's not just in our years of living here on earth, but yet we can join in the community of saints from times past because they were able to look beyond their circumstances and realize that God was powerfully at work in their circumstances and making himself known. So with that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the timeless truth that's there. For the saints of old that lived this out when it was difficult. For those that set the example for us in ancient times, but also in this life now. Those brothers and sisters that are living this out in a way that draws us closer to you because we see the way it's lived out in them. Lord, help us as we go into this week to see the opportunities amidst trials to make you known, to make you powerfully present in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.